Hello, and welcome to the AgriFood Safety Produce Bites podcast, where we discuss all things produce safety and dive into the rules and regulations surrounding the Food Safety Modernization Act Produce Safety Rule. My name is Micah Hutchison. I am the Produce Safety Technician on the east side of the state of Michigan, and I work with produce growers on the implementation of the FSMA Produce Safety Rule. And hello, my name is Landon Tietel, and I do the same job, but I am located in the Upper Peninsula, and I, I service Upper Peninsula farmers with any sort of help or technical assistance they might need in regards to on-farm food safety. And we're together today uh, in the spirit of the 4th of July uh, to talk about the freedom of the produce safety rule. So it's a little bit counterintuitive because the produce safety rule is a federal law. It's the federal minimum standards for food safety for fresh produce growers. But there is a surprising amount of freedom within the musts or the requirements of the produce safety rule. And so that's what we're going to be highlighting today. Micah, do you want to define what the musts, when we talk about the musts of the produce safety rule, what does that mean? To me, it always means kind of like the bare minimum practices that have to be in place to be in compliance with the law. These are the practices that every farm has to do as set up by the law, Um, not suggestions, not like best practices all around, but just the bare minimum of what a grower must do from compliance. How do you see it? Yeah, I really love that you you called it the minimum because I think that really gets to the heart of the produce safety rule. It's the minimum requirements. And so, yeah, I think, I think you nailed it. It's, it's the minimum. Yeah. And I'm always like on a side note, really surprised with how easy the must are to implement on any farm. Yeah. How minimal the the minimum is. Yeah. Like you said, you must wash your hands. But there's so many other things that you should do that are like kind of best guides, but not required. Yeah, like uh, you should put up uh, wildlife deterrence, um, but you must at least monitor for the presence of animals. And so there's a big difference between like what you can or should do uh, to like optimize your food safety versus like what is the bare minimum. Landon, what does the produce safety rule say about finding poop in the field? What must growers do? Uh, Well, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, man, I love talking about this uh, just for the like the shock factor that I always get to see on on farmers faces. But you can't harvest poopy produce. You can't pick poopy produce and you don't have to eat poopy produce. So yeah, if you see poop in the field, there there should be no harvesting of it. Um, but there's lots and lots and lots of different ways that a farm can choose to go about that. Um, do you want to throw some of those options out there? Um, I think one of the first options that come to mind are as your as farmers are assessing fields or doing that pre-harvest assessment, even when out picking, um, is flagging poop to let 
yourself remember where you found poop in the field and anyone else working with you. It's a really great way to have a visual identifier when you come across poop in the field. Yeah, I I like the I like the flagging method too. Um and I actually I actually don't see that method very often um in my region though. Um more often I see um especially with smaller farms that don't have a very large harvest crew, uh people just sort of picking around it and so they'll they'll leave a a sort of radius around where the poop was found and just harvest around it, but not necessarily stick a flag in the ground. I personally run into farms asking the question, how much, how big should that radius be? What should the space around poop be? And I think that highlights to me some of the freedoms within the rule because there is no set spacing. Yeah, it's not it's not prescriptive at all. Um and I get that question a lot too and I the first thing I always ask in response is like, "Well, what kind of poop is it? Whose poop is it?" Little pelleted deer poop is a different story from a, a big splatter of bird poop. And also, did it rain the night before? You know, is there is there a potential for splash or spread of this of the bacteria in the poop that maybe we can't see that we have to still take into account? I also talk to farms about that a lot, and that makes me kind of more prone to suggesting that once the poop is found, kind of focusing on proper disposal instead of like flagging and moving forward and picking it up and disposing of it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what a, what, how do you tell farms to dispose of it? Well, personally, um, a lot of the farms I work with are, you know, really small market farms and with crews of like one or two people, family, small volunteers, mostly under 10 um, people on the crew. And I suggest that they remove it using a shovel that is designated for poop, put it in a plastic bag and then throw it away after that happens. I suggest that whoever removed the poop definitely washes their hands. Hopefully they're washing their hands afterwards, after they're touching poop. Um, washing hands is something that is a must. Um, yes, you must wash your hands. You must wash your hands. Uh, and the produce safety rule says a lot about must washing hands. I and always, when they must wash their hands. Yes, they must wash their hands. And there's lots of scenarios where growers must wash their hands. What I always find interesting is that the produce safety rule talks about hand washing a lot. But what they say about hand washing stations, to me, is more um, what hand washing facilities must have. So soap, running water, some sort of adequate drying device, so single-use paper towels, electric hand dryers, and then appropriate disposal of those dirty towels and wastewaters. When you read the rule, how do you interpret what it says about hand-washing stations? Yeah, I think that um, all of those elements make up a hand-washing station, but what that hand-washing station looks like is just 
it could be anything and so it could be it could be an actual sink that is plumbed uh you know like hat is hooked up to plumbing and that you don't have to worry about the wastewater because it it gets drained out into your septic um or it could be um like one of those rentable hand washing stations that's like a like one of those like rentable plastic hand washing stations with the foot pedal that you often see outside of like porta potties at events um you, you know you can rent those along with your porta potties to have placed on your farm it could also look like a a homemade version so it could be like one of those big water coolers with a spout that you can turn on with a uh, a bar of soap next to it or a, a container of soap next to it and a, uh, you know, a, a big Rubbermaid toe underneath to catch the dirty water to be disposed of in a an appropriate place at a later time. Uh, and then paper towel in a, in a trash can next to it. Or we could get even more rustic and uh, do like a tippy tap version where... You've got a, you know, like one of those shepherd hooks with a, an old washed out, cleaned uh, milk jug full of clean water with like little holes in the cap, and you you tip the tip the milk jug with a, it's like t- uh, connected with a string, uh, with a little foot pedal on the ground, and so you you push the foot pedal with your foot, and it tips the milk jug of clean water. Um, out so you've got running water and there's soap and paper towel and a trash can nearby for all of those other things um so it could look really different that took me right back to girl scout camp if i'm being <laughs> completely honest um, micah you tried to bring up worker training earlier uh what is the what does the proto safety rule say about worker training in terms of the musts um that workers must be trained trained on what you know that's something that kind of feels really ambiguous when looking at the language Mm -hmm. but what it says about a training program is that it must include the principles of food hygiene and food safety recognizing the signs and symptoms of foodborne illness and the importance of personal hygiene for all personnel and visitors and then any other training relevant to the workers jobs um, for harvest crews, there's a few other must. Harvest crews must not pick poopy produce. They must not harvest dropped produce. And they must not harvest into dirty or damaged containers. Did I miss anything, Landon? No, I think you got it. And that... So, I'm glad we're talking about the worker training because that sounds like a lot of musts, right? So, I, I can see how someone would like learn that or read that and be like, okay, where's the freedom in this one? See, I I look at this, this is so interesting. I look at it totally differently. I think it's a lot of, like, there's very few must. If looking at all of the activities that farm workers do every day that they'll have to be trained on, the produce safety rule requirement seems very low to me. Um, I think the should and the freedom really comes from how you train and there's a lot of wiggle room in how you train i think you're right i think that uh, the way a farm chooses to train their workers can look 
vastly different from farm to farm and still be effective in every case. I know that some farms really like to do the like the sort of traditional like we're going to sit the whole crew down in the break room and we're going to go over all of these things. We're going to make everyone read the food safety plan for the farm, maybe have like a little demonstration of proper hand washing, like something really formal. Uh, and others are not so formal. Do you want to give some examples of the, the less formal ones? I would love to. I adore less formal training. An example to me would be instead of sitting down your whole crew to spend a whole day devoted to training would be to break it up, would be to say, these are our training topics at the beginning of each shift and then cover the topics that way. So, hey, today we're going to do hand washing. So it's just a really simple demonstration of hand washing. The person training could have everyone kind of after they explain it, counting to 20 seconds um, together. So it kind of gives that, this is the pace, this is how long you need to be rubbing your hands together in hand washing before they explain the next steps. And then um, maybe two weeks later, coming back to the crew that was trained and asking someone to demonstrate proper hand washing to kind of reinforce and re-engage the crews on the topic that they trained on. I love that idea of, uh, you know, I've shown you and now you show me to make sure you understand. I love that idea. Yeah. And I think by the you, I've shown you, you show me, you can bring some humor and kind of spend some time together that isn't just the trainer talking at the workers in like a way that's um, can be kind of authoritative and boring, it's really engaging and it creates those connections. Yeah, and there are there are also a lot of different resources available for farms. Um, you know, so if a farm is you know strapped for time or maybe a little bit anxious about coming up with a their own worker training program, there's lots of resources available that they can draw from. So, do you want to talk about uh, some other resources that I think you, I know you're a part of one, right? Yes, I am. Um, as part of our team, Michigan On-Farm Produce Safety, in collaboration with Michigan State University Extension, created a text training program where farms can sign up for text training. Their workers will receive a text on a topic that's required for training under the produce safety rule. One of those must and then as part of this text training, farm workers then can get the records of who got these text training and keep those records for the rule requirement of record keeping. Yeah, and that's a that's a free service, right? Yes, it's free. Amazing. Who doesn't love getting a a text saying, "Remember to wash your hands and don't pick <laughs> poopy produce?" <laughs> Who doesn't love not having to worry about record keeping? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm curious, Micah, in your eyes, does that texting service, would that serve as like a full training program or, or do you see it more as a supplement? I think it's more of a supplement. It gives that initial training so that here's the rule, here's what you must do kind of aspect. I think that for like a good 
training program, it has to be more than just that piece of education. It needs to be engaging, it needs to be fun, and it needs to um, kind of be tested. Like, so if you, if a worker receives a text this week on say, you must not pick dropped produce, I think a comprehensive training program would have the trainer coming back and again, get engaging and asking questions of their workers like, so what produce shouldn't you pick? And then hopefully the answer would be dropped produce. <laughs> and poopy produce. And poopy produce. Yeah, so texting, videos. Uh, Demonstration. You know, demonstrations or discussions. Oh, I feel like we're probably, what's that? Songs, maybe someone Songs? could sing it. Yeah, let's, let's rap about hand washing. Training opera. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whoever can make the, uh, the most amount of vegetable puns while they're training can make a competition. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I think in other aspects of the rule, there's a little less freedom than training. Uh, packing containers comes to mind for me. That the rule says that, you know, you must harvest into and pack into clean containers that are free of visible filth. That always kind of makes me feel like there's a more standard requirement than something like training. That only new single-use containers or cleaned reusable containers must be used to pack produce. Yeah, so I think that this is uh, more of a, a stringent rule. And like with harvest containers, I think it it is pretty cut and dry like it needs to be it needs to be a container that's cleanable enough to be free of visible filth um but in terms of packing containers so the the end packaging that the produce is going to leave the farm in they're really like the rules gives two options and that's it it's either a new single use container or it's maybe a reusable container but it has to be cleaned um, which means it has to be made out of a material that can be cleaned, uh, you know, some sort of like durable plastic or other smooth surface like that. Yeah, I run into a lot of questions about this um, mm -hmm. while working with farms. It seems that the biggest freedom comes maybe from those cleanable containers because you can use them again, uh, especially for farms, like really focusing on sustainability. But I, f this is where I feel like there's less shoulds, like you said, um, and there's less options for growers. Yeah. And I mean, like, I guess there are a lot of different options in terms of like what you can use as a single, single use container. You know, you could use like, um, like those little green berry boxes you can use single use or you could do um, a, a plastic box liner or other container liner as a single use uh, container or you could use uh, paper bags as a single use container. But as like I, I run into that a lot too, Micah, where farms would like to act more sustainably and provide a more sustainable packaging option for their customers. 
And so maybe that means that they're using the compostable plastic single-use bags. Uh, but maybe they are trying to find something that's reusable. What have you seen on farm for, for folks who are reusing and cleaning containers? I mean, you brought up the green berry boxes. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is one of my heart almost sinks every time I see farms reusing them. Um, And I've seen it quite a bit. I I see it too. And it's like, oh no. You can't clean a berry box. It's like cardboard. (laughs) Yeah. And it gets wet and it falls apart. And they get stained and like visibly dirty. I feel like I've never seen one that has been used that is not visibly dirty after one use. <laughs> right. Yet they're not meant to last. They're not they're not built for d- the duration. No, they're not. Um I love that you said compostable plastic bags. I'm seeing those a lot more at market and on farms. Um maybe that compostable bag is in that green berry box. So then if you're selling at market, the buyer can take the compostable bag with them. And then and those the berry box. Yep. Yeah. The berry boxes are clean. <laughs> yep. Nothing touched them. I also really like your paper bag suggestion. Yeah. I've seen that a lot with CSA farms. Well, they'll, they'll pack their CSA into a paper bag and then, you know, the paper bag can just be recycled so it, it's kind of a win-win. It is a single-use item, but it's easily recyclable. Or compostable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of different packaging options, even though there's only really two choices. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess there's freedom in how you interpret the two choices. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and what kind of packaging you'd like to spend your money on. Landon, earlier we talked about record keeping um, around training. As a training training requirement, yeah. Yeah. Where where else is there freedom and wiggle room? This is one of my favorite things to to talk to farms about in terms of like, I feel like the produce safety rule is so easygoing in terms of record keeping, especially when compared to other audit programs like GAP or Primus, where there's just millions of records that that a farm has to keep. I think there are only seven required records for the entirety of the produce safety rule. It's so doable. The minimum is so doable. Yeah, there's seven records. But if you don't say compost, I always interpret that as a record you don't have to keep. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you're right. In some cases, like maybe not even all seven will apply to you. I always suggest to growers that they should keep as many electronic records as they can. Um, Like have something that is easily accessible when working. So a piece of paper, pencil, um, out with them. But then as much as they can get down in an electronic document is my suggestion. What do you suggest, Landon? I find that in my area, so I... I'm in the Upper Peninsula, which is a pretty rural part of the state and um, part of the country. And I find um, a lot of times that there isn't adequate cell service out in the fields to do that on an electronic device um, if it needs the internet. But I, I have suggested that to a lot of farms. And 
more often than not, it's like, ah, my phone doesn't even work out in the field. So in, in those cases, my recommendation is buy seven clipboards and tie a pencil with a string to that clipboard with that record. Maybe put it inside one of those like, um, like plastic uh, uh, paper sleeves and so it can withstand a little bit of weather and hang it next to wherever that job most often gets done. I, I love that. And I love that plastic sleeve so it can withstand a little bit of weather. I also like for for paper records, uh, the storage, like once that clipboard is filled up, having one of those like plastic-ish file folders. Yeah. And keeping all of those documents together. Yeah, I love that being a little bit more organized. There, I've definitely been on farm where it's like, here's my food safety plan and the last eight years of records that I've kept. <laughs> and I'm always like, I'm very proud of you, but I don't want to look at these. And you, no one needs to look at eight years of records. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, that is a, a good point to bring up uh, because the produce safety rule does put a a, a number on that, uh, doesn't it? It has a, a specific year requirement of how long you should you should hold on to your records. I feel like it's two. I think it's two. Yeah, I think it's two years from the from the date uh, of the record. Yes, I um I hope this is freeing some people up from eight years of paperwork. I hope so too. <laughs> Links to anything referenced in this episode are provided in our show notes, which can be accessed on the website at canr.msu.edu slash agrifood underscore safety. Thank you to everyone for listening. And don't forget to tune in next month for another episode of our Produce Bites podcast.